0: Verse 7 jumped off the page at me several weeks ago when I was reading this uh, portion of Scripture. It's been about a month now. And uh, it's one of the things I love about the Word of God. It is so, uh, it is alive, right? It's living, it's powerful, it's quick, it's sharper than a two edged sword. And it's amazing to me because it is a living, breathing Word that you can read something many times. I already had it highlighted in my Bible, I had this highlighted. And this is one of my newer Bibles that I've I've had. I mean, I only have I couldn't even guess the number of times I read that passage. And it jumped off the page at me a month ago. Those words that uh, seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And I saw um, what I would call some direction. You know, I, I've been praying and asking God, Lord, what do we do? What is the direction of the church? How do we respond? In such a time as this, you know, how should we live? How should we be? What should our attitude be towards um, those that, that are against us and those that, that that disagree with, you know, our view of what life and should look like and how the nation should work? And and uh, in this process of seeking God, this particular scripture, it just it jumped out at me. And I want, to note, I want to note a couple of things this morning during the introduction that I think are important. First of all, Jeremiah is speaking to a church that has been exiled. And if you don't know what that exiled means, basically they've been taken captive. They're not really slaves. If they were slaves, they wouldn't have been able to you know do the things he was telling them to do. But they were taken captive or ran out of Jerusalem when Jerusalem was destroyed. And so they moved into this foreign land where everything was different. And they were being forced to live amongst a people, the Babylonians in Babylon. They were forced to live amongst a people whose lives were different, culture was different, ways were different. And they were the minority. They did not have the same power and influence they once used to have. And when they spoke of this great God that they served, in order to talk about the great moves of God and the great things that God had done, they had to talk about past tense experiences of their forefathers. Because now they are exiled and they're living in a land that's not even their own. And it is to this group of people that Jeremiah is writing with some instructions. And even though they're the, and this is something I I want to point out, is that notice that even though things aren't really good, even though God's church in this scenario, God's people in this scenario are the minority and things aren't good, notice, brothers and sisters, God is still speaking, God is still in control. God is still watching, his eye is still on his people, and he is concerned about them, and he is providing direction for them, he is still leading them, he is still aware of their needs, he is still very, very involved, even though their world doesn't look like they wanted to. I found some encouragement in that when I look around at the current climate of our culture, and I was reminded that our God is still speaking, our God is still on His throne, God knows who His sons and daughters are, God is deeply involved in our lives. Seek the welfare of the city, for your your welfare is found in the mutual welfare of your community. When we think about what should we do, Keep in mind this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in general terms. Gary, is this the water you were drinking while you were coughing, sir? This is yours? I, I'm going to need one because I'm going to cough and everybody's going to think I have corona. Just dry air in here today, folks, that's all. You try to talk for 20 minutes straight and see if your throat don't get dry. Keep in mind that I'm dealing with general, you know, generalities this morning. You know, to take a, a nation like ours that is in the position it is and actually give you know, a 40-minute message on how to fix it is almost impossible. There's a lot that I can't deal and say with. So I'm dealing with a general principle this morning first thing we have to understand this morning during our introduction is that our welfare will be found in the general welfare of everybody. In other words, it's not us versus them. Amen. If that is your thinking, you've got to stop your thinking. It is not us versus them, whoever us is and whoever them are. It's, 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 right. we, we are a community. We, we live in this together. And whether we like it or not, we are in this together. Because we live together in the same world, same culture, the same city, the same community, the same state, the same country. And learning that when we seek the general welfare of all people, it benefits all of us is an important principle that we see here in the Scriptures. God is not justifying, nor is He telling these people to take on their ways and worship the gods of the Babylonians or take on their pagan customs. That's not what God is doing, but He's pointing out the truth. This is one of the amazing things about God is that while our God is a spiritual being, uh, while He is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth, His Word is spiritual. He also gives very practical advice a lot of times in His Word. And this is a practical piece of advice that you need to seek the welfare of your own community because in its welfare you find yours. Why? Because you live there. So the answer is seeking the welfare of everyone, including those whose lives and beliefs are different than ours. Notice that this answer, it comes from God. Something I think that we have to uh, absolutely, this is something worth living for, something worth dying for, and that is that God alone is the one who can give the answers. At the end of the day, when we're talking about the welfare of, of a nation, God alone gets to give the answers. And we can have discussion about how do you implement Um, the principles of Scripture, and what does that look like in a community. But as for me, in my house, right, we will serve the Lord. And so it starts with uh, knowing what God has decreed, knowing what God has commanded, knowing uh, what the principles, the precepts, the laws, the rules, the commands are of God, and living that in my home first, and doing all that I can to bring this sense of peace and goodness and welfare to the world around me. The, uh, the truth is that what, how do I express this? What gets most of the air time, what gets most attention, are the things that really hit our hot buttons. Right. That's what gets most of the air time. So consequently, when you're on social media, you're on Facebook, you're watching the news, it really doesn't matter what it is. What, what, what you see are what I would call extreme positions. And this is uh, on both sides. But you will find that when you take the time to actually care about people and have respectful, meaningful conversations about the world that we live in, that the incredible majority of people Aren't nearly as um, opinionated as the ones that make the headlines and as the ones that get most of the attention. They're, most people, even if they're on the other side, if you, you can talk and have a rational discussion. And we need to learn to uh, care enough to invest in the lives of others, to be seeking the welfare of others. And not just be selflessly looking at what's my world, what do I think is best for me, what do I want, what do I want, what do I want, and instead, God, how can I take this life that you've given me? How can I trust your word? You know, the, the, the Bible tells us that uh, God has chosen or ordained or decided ahead of time the boundaries and places where we would live. It's an amazing thought. In other words... We were made for such a time as this, and a place as this. And so we've got to trust that and say, God, give us the wisdom to make our community better. And so when I think about what do we do, um, I'm the type of person, I need instructions. I love instructions. I'm actually an instruction follower unless I think I know the instructions better, and they're kind of confusing to read. But most of the time, I actually read the instructions. I'm that guy that if I'm building something and it comes in the, you know, we buy it at Lowe's or whatever, um, I open it up and I read the instructions and I follow them. And this is mind-blowing, but they normally work, folks. You ought to follow the instructions. When I think about um, this concept of healing a fractured nature, nation, man, our nation is fractured. And I, I want some instructions. You know, I'm, I need some steps because it seems so overwhelming. It seems just like there's too much. And so when you get overwhelmed, you end up wanting just to sit down and do nothing. You ever been there? You got so much to do, and you're so overwhelmed, you decide you'd rather just take a nap. Amen. The only thing that happens during that time is you fall asleep and forget about all you got to do. We need instructions. And so I want to look at it this morning from the angle of responsibility. So who's responsible to fix our fractured nation? What is your responsibility? What is my responsibility? I want to look at this question of healing a fractured nation from that context of what are the responsibilities and who do they belong to? Number one, notice the responsibility of the people. He is speaking in verse 1 to all the people. And he says to all the people in verse 7 to seek the welfare of the city in which they are. The reason this is significant is because we are prone to look beyond ourselves for a solution. I think I, I really believe that this is a tactic of the enemies to get in our minds and think that the problem is outside of here. We want our world to be better. That means they, whoever they is, that they have to do something in order for our world to be better. Sometimes we don't even know who we think needs to move and who needs to act and who needs to do this. One of the things that happens during these times of um, panic is conspiracy theories arise. And there's always this talk about you know random unknown characters who are controlling all of us like puppets, and then there's this feeling that well I can't do anything about it. I've got to figure out who these random people are that I've never known. I don't know who they are and where they are and how to influence them so that they'll start doing this the right way. And we get this sense of hopelessness that we can't change our own community. And I really think that it's a, I'm totally convinced, I don't just think it, it's an absolute lie. It's a tactic of the enemy to get in our minds and think that somehow it's bigger than it really is. And we forget. I was going to say New York, you know, like whatever's going on in New York, I don't know. But it's not our job to fix New York. i don't live there. It's their job to fix New York. But you know what it is my job to deal and care about and, and mess with? My community, my neighbors, my people, you my brothers and sisters. And we can get so focused on whatever stuff that really doesn't impact us a lot. I, I, I would submit to you that when you look at the things that have really made your blood boil in the last three months. And if you'll be honest, right? We're talking about having honest, mindful, thinking conversations. You think about the stuff that's made your blood boil. It really hasn't impacted you that much. And here comes the theoretical... So you're still trying to stay mad. You're still, so, so here comes your follow-up anger argument. But it will. Maybe. Deal to the end. Why don't you invest in your community now? You see what happens? How there's a sense of hopelessness when we somehow quit looking at what can I do and the people that are in my life now. And the response here is look, I know you're exiles, I know you're in a land you don't really want to be, I know that you're the minority, but what you need to do is just buckle down, build you a home, and invest in your community, and live the life, and be a light in a dark place, and know that in the welfare of where you're at, you'll find your welfare, so work on that, and quit worrying about what's happening 400 miles away, that you're, just work on you and so we see the responsibility of the people we've been duped into believing that we don't have power anymore and i just refuse to believe that that somehow we're helplessly controlled by we don't even know it's this mysterious power out there And when you feel helpless, you know what you do? You give up. And I want to challenge us this morning. We talk about healing a fractured nation. I want to challenge us to make our community better. I want to challenge you. You get up and go to work tomorrow morning. I want to challenge you to really think when you wake up and you go to work tomorrow morning, I've only been preaching 10 minutes. That's not long enough. That that alarm needs to be at least 40 minutes. I need 40 minutes. I want to challenge you when you wake up and you go to work tomorrow morning or whatever it is that you do, I want you to wake up tomorrow I want you to ask yourself uh, or, or pray and ask God, God, give me some wisdom today how I can make my people, this world, my community better. How can I encourage somebody today and make their day, their life, their world a better place for them to live? And you spend less time worrying about all these random unknown forces of power that you don't even can't talk to in the first place. And so there's this responsibility I think that we have to own and quit feeling like we're also helpless. This is our world, folks. We live in it just like anybody else. And so we have every right as anybody to be involved in our own communities and to be involved in the lives of people and to be speaking life and to be speaking encouragement and to use our voice and to use our hands and to use our feet and to use our lives to make people's lives better. It's our job to fix our home. It's your job to fix your family. And that's really where it starts. The real Long-term answer is changing the home. And nobody can change your home but you. Nobody can encourage somebody to change their home better than someone who's close to them. In other words, if I'm encouraging my neighbors and I'm encouraging my children and I'm encouraging you all to run your homes and be godly men and women and run your homes like God wants you to run your homes, I'm going to have a whole lot more influence than Senator so-and-so is over how you run your home. Right? And so we've got to take the responsibility of the people and quit blaming everything on everybody else. Let's deal with what might happen later when whatever might happens later actually happens. And in the meantime, let's work on building our communities now and investing in the lives of people. Number two, I want to talk to you about the responsibility of our protectors. Now, this is a, a, a piece of the puzzle that we're not going to find specifically in our text this morning. For sake of time... I'm just going to tell you how we get here. One of the things that we see repeatedly throughout the Scriptures is the truth that this world is a fallen place. From beginning to end. I don't have to convince anybody here this morning, that's a Bible-believing Christian, that the Scriptures teach us this world's a fallen place. Consequently, it's a place where when lawlessness abounds, people are hurt. In fact, we've been studying the book of Isaiah... Uh, at our 9 o'clock session right now, service, we've been studying Isaiah and and what we've seen is that one of the complaints God had against His people was that they weren't protectors. And that rather than helping those who needed help, they were really oppressing the poor. They were taking advantage of, of people. They were not caring for the widow. They were not caring for the orphan. And so we see there is this concept, this biblical concept that God, uh, in order for government to work correctly, according to God's design for government to work correctly, we need protectors. It's a discussion we have to have in this absolute nonsense time where we're talking about defunding the police. That I had a, for me, I needed the Lord to help me see how I could go there with a scriptural point. But I'm telling you, biblically, brothers and sisters, we need protectors. We need them. And not just our police. We need military. We need border protection. We need protection from people that, that want to harm us. It's an awful truth that sometimes somebody might break into your house, but it's real. And to say anything different, is to stick your head in the sand and just be a fool that refuses to deal with truth. You know what happens when someone's threatening you? You need to know that you can contact somebody who will protect you. And we need to honor our, our protectors in this nation. You know one of the things that makes my blood boil? right? We're talking about blood boiling. And the truth is, it hasn't infected me much, but I'm just airing my grievances this morning. But you want to know something that's made my blood boil? We're, see- we're seeing this truth where we're living in a time where what, what, what is good is called evil, and what is evil is called good. And it makes my blood boil to think of the people who have honorably served this country in our military, and who have honorably served our country and are serving our local communities right now wearing the badge, who are being treated like they are bad guys. It is garbage, it is a lie, and there is no place for it in this society. I don't dispute that when you have millions of people over a long period of time serving in any organization, you're going to find bad apples. I don't care what it is. But that doesn't somehow negate what the 99% of those who honorably lay down their lives for us. And we need protectors. Amen. And we need to stand up and say so. And we need to quit being afraid. It's mind-blowing to me. It's what makes my blood boil. It's like, it's like someone's afraid to say they're a cop now. It's insane. Afraid to be one. Somehow they try to stigmatize and put a, a sense of shame on our heroes that lay down their life, that serve this great nation in our armed forces to keep us safe. And it is time that we at least, at the very least, say enough is enough. Enough of this nonsense. We need these people in our life. We need protect. I don't want to run off on a, on a rabbit trail that is too far down a trail to get back. But, you know, ultimately protectors is, is what men are supposed to be. It is what we're supposed to do for our children and for our wife and for our home. We are protectors. And what we've watched is this dumbing down, this feminizing of men in our culture. Somehow where we have been shamed to be protectors. We are in an absolutely confused society. I'm telling you, it's as confused as it's ever been. I'm not joking when I say this. I sincerely, sincerely, I mean this from a true medical, emotional statement what I'm about to make. So don't laugh at it and don't snark at it. We're in a confused society where a lot of people don't know if they're boys or girls. Now that sounds insane because it is insane. But it's true. It's actually true. It's hard to understand that if you've never, ever been that confused in your life. But it really is true. There are people that are confused about even who they are. And this is what happens when a society lets off all restraint. This is what happens when a society takes its protectors and its spiritual leaders and truth and the laws that keep us uh, uh, straight, if you will, and narrow and, 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 and on the Lord's path And we take them and we throw them to the side. We become confused. And it's culminated in this period of time where we've got people burning down buildings saying defund the police. The irony is mind-blowing. What's even worse is that instinctively people know different, but they don't care. My wife and I watched a documentary on... Uh, CHOP, also known as CHAZ, that was the zone in Seattle that was controlled by the protesters, that occupied by the protesters. And the, it was just hard watching it because it was real, but it didn't seem real. It didn't seem like this could be happening. Turns out they had armed guards. Turns out they wanted borders. This is not a joke. I mean, it was like, I was having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. Like, so they had borders that you can't come in to their zone without permission. That's weird. I thought they hated borders. And they had armed protectors. They weren't police. They were just protectors of their citizens who had authority to use force if needed to protect the zone, but they weren't police. And it was just hard for me to wrap my mind around where we're at, the confusion of our country, but you know what I saw even in that? Even in a confused people, instinctively there's the understanding that we need borders, we need security, and we need people to keep us safe. We need our protectors, and we need to honor them, And I want to challenge the church to honor those men and women who serve you in any, whether it be military, whether it be our uh, police force, in any degree who are putting their lives in harm's way so that you and I can have freedom. They need to be honored. They need to be revered. And I'm telling you, we need more of them. Man, we desperately need more of them. And we have got to stop this stigma that somehow these protectors are bad people because our young people are not wanting to grow up and fill these roles. And I don't know where we're going to be in 10 or 20 years if we don't see a host of them raise up. It is an honorable thing. And to any and all of you who have served us and kept us safe, foreign, abroad, whether it's been in our military or our police department, thank you. Thank you for your service. Talked about the responsibility of the people, the responsibility of those who protect us. I want to I want to talk now about the responsibility of our prophets, our pastors. Turn with me a few chapters back to Jeremiah 23. I finish with this third and final point because I really believe it is the most significant. I, the, the, the strange thing about when this message was being formed was like, I don't have a whole lot of pastors and prophets to speak to here this morning, so I'm like, what's the application to these people? And the best that I can tell you is that the Spirit of the Lord directed me to stay here, to hammer this hard. And if I have any direction in my spirit, I believe it's because you need to understand how to be praying for our nation spiritually. You need to understand how God sees the sacredness of the pulpit. And um, you you need to know how to be praying for the church concerning its spiritual leadership. And so, you know, you might not be a pastor this morning, most of you aren't, 90% of you or more aren't, but trust me, you need to hear what I'm about to preach. And I'm going to read a lot of text, something else that I grappled with. I'm going to read more text right now than I normally do and, and give Sunday morning, and then I'm going to preach on it. We're going to be done. I want to read verses 9 Through 32. It really goes all the way through 40. We'll see how I'm feeling at 32. I might read through 40. But I want to read this because God doesn't just say, hey, I'm sick of the the prophets lying. Doom's going to come. I mean, He hammers down. You ever had anybody that was just angry and it's like, yeah, you just said that. And then they they say the same thing again. They come at it from this angle, and you're like, man, I know, you just said it. That's how God is right now with what's going on with the prophets. He just unloads on how he feels about these prophets. Look at verse 9, Jeremiah 23. Notice it starts out with these three stark words concerning the prophets. My heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine, because of the Lord and because of His holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. Now we're talking about concerning the prophets. Because of the curse, the land mourns. Notice, in fact, I'll just preach through this as we go through it. Let's do that you can tell, I'm kind of winging it. I wasn't sure how this was going to work out. Notice the land mourns. I believe with all of my heart that if the blame lies somewhere, it lies here. That's what I believe. If the blame were to lie primarily on one place, For why we are where we are, it lies right here at the pulpit of American churches. The land mourns. The pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil declares the Lord. We are living in a time very similar to what was happening in this time. Prophet and priest are evil. Ungodly. There should be a godliness about the church. But especially about those who are leading her. There should be something different. Therefore, their ways shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. They strengthen the hand. This is God's, God's perspective of what's going on in His church. He says, not only are they not turning people away from wickedness, they're making people more bold in their wickedness. They're strengthening their hands. I'm telling you, we are seeing it happen. It is taking place where sin is celebrated in the church. Look. Look. Verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Spiritual leaders lead. One way or the other. The spiritual condition of the church always starts with... The prophets, the priests, the spiritual leaders. He said the ungodliness that's happening by those who lead my church, it's gone out into all the land. The land, the nation, the culture becomes weakened, becomes tainted, becomes sin-filled. When those who are spiritual leaders stop preaching the truth of god's word and start preaching what people want to hear it's not an easy thing to preach the truth you want to know how how can you be praying for for the church and for true spiritual leaders pray that god would make us bold because it's not easy to say the truth we we are humans we're not robots we have emotions too. We like to be liked. We like to be wanted. To be around and to be friendly. So it's a lot easier to say whatever you want to hear. It's a lot easier to find out what do you want, what do you want church to be like. And, and what do you think church should be like. And, and what would you like me to say behind the pulpit. And what do you want me to preach on next week? And just, it's easier, right, to to go that route and try to just make everybody happy. And then you end up with a bunch of puppets instead of pastors. And you find that's what a lot of people want these days. They don't want a pastor, they want a puppet that they can just kind of control. Make him dance the way they want him to dance, say what they want him to say. And so how, how can you pray for us? You pray for us to be bold. You pray for us to be brave. You know how boldness and brave, bravery comes? It comes through knowing this Word. It really does. It comes through knowing this Word and knowing the God of this Word. I read through Jeremiah chapter 23 recently. Several times, actually. And uh, every time I read through it, one of the thoughts that I had was, I would just be terrified to be on the other end of this. Man, I don't like having to be the hard guy sometimes. I hate it. it makes me mad. just wish somebody else would do it. There's times, there's times I feel like, God, would you just get somebody else to say these things? Why can't I just be the nice guy? Really, I mean that. I actually feel that way a lot. But I would be terrified to stand on the other side and eventually face the one true eternal, almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful God and give an account for lying about what He says. That's terrifying to me. And so I'd much rather deal with feeling unliked and feeling like the hard guy and know that God, at least I'm preaching it straight and I'm preaching it true. And one day I'd get a stop There's a lot of awesome things about heaven, but I'm telling you, for somebody that spent their life doing what what I do, one of the greatest things to me about heaven is thinking, I will never have to stand and call people out for their sin again. Never have to do it. Never have to get up and preach a message to try to break through the spiritual staleness of people and turn people's wicked hearts to a true God. Because it's hard. You need to pray for the boldness. And you need to pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for your pastor. I'm just a man like anybody else. And with that said, when I say pray for pastors, listen, we need to be praying for pastors coast to coast. I'm not saying I don't need prayer and we don't need prayer here. That's not what I'm saying, but... We do get a lot, a lot of things right here. We preach against sin. We preach the truth. We preach that the Bible's true un- unashamedly. And so it's not like you need to be praying for us to repent of our weak preaching. I still say pray that we stay strong, absolutely, and that God gives us boldness. But we need, to be, we need more than just us. And, and we're not the only ones. Don't ever get that in your mind either. We're not some special tiny little group of people and there's nobody else in the world preaching like we are. That's not true. But it isn't even close to the majority. So we need to be praying. Praying that God would call and send priests and prophets and pastors. Notice they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food. I will give them poison water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. You need to hear that. Don't listen to the false prophets who fill you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of God, Oh, it shall be well with you. And everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. If you're listening, by way of internet, live, visiting this morning. If you are in a church associated with a church that in any capacity constantly allows you to feel like you can go the way of your own stubborn heart, do what you want to do, just kind of live how you want to live and that it's all going to be okay, you need to get out of there fast. These are people who just say what the people want to hear fill you with vain hopes? Who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord? That's the question. None of them. To see and hear His word. Who has paid attention to His word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. That's what's going to happen. Wrath has gone forth. Look what God says in verse 21. I did not send those prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil deeds. I'm out of time this morning, and so I'm going to challenge you to finish reading verses 23 through 40 on your own. I want to finish with those uh, verses there in those statements in verse 22. If they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed My words. You know, that's what people need to hear is the Word of God. It's His words that matter. It's His words that you will answer for. It's His words that you will be measured by on that day of judgment when you stand before God. It is His words that this nation needs to hear. Notice, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil from the evil of their deeds the true prophet turns people away from evil that's what a true prophet a true pastor a true uh, a man of God that preaches the word of God that teaches the word of God turns people away from evil this is an unpopular job telling people that they're evil and warning them of judgment if they don't stop this is, ultimately what our nation needs. It's what it needs: a turning away from evil. turning away from wickedness. We need people to rise up and be true. I'm going to go ahead and ask if you guys have prepared a song of invitation this morning. We need people to rise up and be true. Consistent across the board. This morning, when we talk about the response, we talk about healing a fractured nation. We talk about the responsibility of the people. I ask you this morning, what is your responsibility and have you embraced it in your world? What are you doing to make the welfare of your community better? Because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. talk this morning about our protectors and just want to take a moment to to once one last time encourage those of you that have served and given your life and laid down many of your freedoms and put yourself in dangerous scenarios and situations signed up your life on the line to give your life if need be so that we could be safe and so we can be free you need to be honored and we need to be honoring and lifting up these people and I preach on the responsibility of the prophets you pray for us you pray for our church I thank God for what he's doing here man we need more people out preaching the truth of God's word unashamedly boldly proclaiming thus say the word of God and just letting the chips fall where the chips fall so we need to be praying for our community we need to be praying for pastors We need to be praying for conviction to fall on pastors. That they would be convicted about the holiness of what we do. We're not CEOs. We're not just trying to make people feel better in the middle of a bad time. We're not just trying to be a little bright light of joy in the middle of the week when everything's so sad. we are trying to turn people to a one and only Holy God. Away from their evil ways.